Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day New York. All right, well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Kerry Feuerman. He's the founder of a company called The Last Hurdle, which trains people on how to sell creative work, and he should know. As an award-winning global creative director, he sold over a billion dollars worth of advertising across the world for agencies like Fallon, TBWA Shiat Day, I've heard of that one, and the Martin Agency. And he's worked on a lot of blue-chip brands, including Mercedes-Benz, UPS, City, Saab. Remember Saab, the old Saab cars? Yes, he's worked on that, and the U.S. Army. He's also just written a book called The Five Deadly Sins of Presenting Creative Work. Kerry, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I love the series. I'm real happy to be part of it. Yeah, good. It's great to have you here. So this book, excellent. What I see even before the book is the first disruption we'll discuss, which is your career. You've disrupted this pretty damn good creative director career. What the hell happened? Well, um, oddly enough, um, I freelanced after I left my last agency, which just happened to be Shiat Day, L.A., and, uh, and I got plenty of work. But, you know, um, as you get older, you start to wonder, um, are people valuing your experience mm. or are they concerned about it because they're not sure you're current? Right. Uh, I've been fortunate to, to stay current. But that said, you know, the clock keeps ticking. Mm. So one of the things that is highly valued is experience in, in areas uh, beyond just simply creating work. And uh, I've always been pretty good at being able to present and sell it. Uh, so, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely um, a lot of people who could use that advice where experience is valued and, you know, my age isn't an issue. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, because I think a lot of people, uh, irrespective of uh, experience, you know, they want to disrupt their careers. I see it all the time. I have conversations with people. Hey, is this all there is? I mean, maybe even before we get into the book, I mean, just, you know, what's it feel like to go, hey, I was marching down this way and now I'm going to make a pivot. It's a big deal, uh, honestly, uh, to disrupt uh, 35 years of being a creative person and uh, decide to then teach creative people how to do something else is a huge turn. The good part about it is, of course, it's it's within my wheelhouse. Right. Um, so it wasn't completely left field. It's not like I decided to all of a sudden become an actor, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been a disaster. <laughs> uh, but um, it, it is a big deal. And starting a business of any sort is huge. It's, it's Nobody sees how it's done, mm. how much work goes into it. When I set up to build the workshop by me, and I spent six months in my office at home mm. building this thing the way Steve Jobs says to build anything, and that is do it with a pen and paper first. Right. Big tech guy talks about lay it out with pen and paper. Yeah, do the whole, frame it out completely. So for six months, I framed it out. And when you do that, you start to stop and think and start saying, is this valuable? Is this not? Will people use this? Will they not? Am I just doing this because I want to be funny and entertain myself or not? Uh, (laughs) There was plenty of that, but it started to take shape. And um, once I got it, I knew I had it. I think that's the thing that anybody has to understand if they're going to make a change. Even if they think they've got it, they probably don't at first, Mm -hmm. but it starts to talk to them. Yeah. Well, I I think you've got a great idea. You've got a great premise. These these five deadly sins. Before we do your five deadly sins, Mm -hmm. I do want to cover the seven deadly sins of advertising. (laughs) Uh, Pride, greed, lust, envy, wrath, sloth, and not filling out your (laughs) timesheets. Did I get the seven right? Excellent. (laughs) 
<laughs> Great. Thank you very much. Now, all right, so you have these five deadly sins. So tell us, what are, what are the five sins? And we'll get into that. We'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, well, the five sins, uh, quite simply, if I listed them out, they would be called uh, blurting, uh, ad whispering, wanderlust, telepathy, and impalement. And in my book, I actually give a bonus sin, which is atrophy. Excellent. So these are sins that, um, you know, I gave them the names. But in fact, there are things that you watch happen in presentations all the time. So uh, would you like me to go into what each one is? Or I think even before you do the, these five, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, you were a creative director. You and I have been in rooms together. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the sins you saw, which led to the yeah. book. Well, the reason I even started the business was simply because I've watched too much good work die coming out of the presenter's mouth. As I like to say, the work wasn't killed, it committed suicide. And um, when you watch that enough, you go, no, no, don't say it. No, you got to say this. No, don't say that. And you watch it die. Right. Work that in the hands of a better presenter could have lived. Hmm. There's so much work out there that could end up in, you know, award shows, doing great things for clients that is dead. Not because it wasn't good and smart. It's because the presenter wasn't able to convince the person across the table right. that it was good and smart. And as, as you approach the book, as we get into the sins themselves, I mean, some of it is storytelling, you know, what I saw you do. You know, some of it in the book is just about planning, like just think about what you're going to do before you get in the room. I think all too often people are working to the last minute or, you know, is that some of the stuff that you were seeing and that would yeah, no you know, drives the blurting and the what happened? Oh, oh, no question. If you had to say one thing that's the root cause of everything, it's lack of preparation. Hmm. It's not knowing your work. Because a lot of times, of course, uh, you're not presenting your own work. You're presenting somebody else's work. Yeah. You don't know how that storyboard goes or that content film or that uh, anything. So it's not knowing it. So you come in and it feels tentative. Right. You know, the way I sort of like to say this, when you're presenting in a room in front of people, you are a contagion. Hmm. Um, and like all contagions, you can spread positiveness or you can spread negativity. Hmm. And it, clients can feel it. They yeah. can smell it. Yeah. So if you're tentative, if you're not sure of the work, how can they get the confidence that the work is right for them? Right. I see it all the time. So preparation um, is one of the biggest problems that if you just did that, you probably prevent committing some of the sins we're going to talk about. So when you walk into the room, how much is the way you comport yourself part of the contagion, as you call it? You know, you look at that, uh, that Amy Cuddy TED Talk on the kind of the role of physicality. Maybe start there walking into the room. Yeah, well, you know, everybody has their own style, and I want to say that right up front. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll, in my workshops, I say, you know, don't try to be somebody you're not built to be, you know. Uh, so for my own style, yeah. you know, you've got to go with your own style. Right. Uh, I mean, Judy Garland said it great. She says, be a first-rate version of yourself instead of a second-rate version of somebody else. Yeah, great. And I, I see too many people trying to, uh, I've got to emulate somebody mm -hmm. else as compared to go in with who you are. That said, you're still a contagion. Right. And confidence is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And read the room. The people don't understand that uh, if they can get conversation happening before the presentation mm. even begins, they're actually starting to sell the work because people like to buy work from people they like. Mm. They like to buy work from people they think are smart, mm. the people they think are engaged and understand their business. Yeah. So when you go into the room, if you're just the first time you talk is when you're about to say, and here's a storyboard for X or Y, you're making a big mistake. Right. Get out there ahead of it. 
Yeah. That'd be my my best piece of advice for him. Good. All right. Well, let's get into sin number one. <laughs> blurting. <laughs> I call it blurting. Uh, blurting, quite simply, is when you leap into presenting work with absolutely no preamble mm. whatsoever. I mean, the first words out of your mouth are, we open on. Right. What you haven't done is given any your your client any of the thinking of how you approach the problem. Mm-hmm. You're not approaching it as a solution to their business needs. You're approaching it as, hey, I've got a cool idea. Mm-hmm. People don't appreciate that what you're there to do is solve the client's business need first and foremost. So blurting is when you don't give any why before what. Mm. I always call it why before what. Why is the work I'm about to show you smart and right for the Mm. assignment you give us, even when the work is wacky and funny? Right. We've all seen crazy work that's crazy like a fox. I mean, you know, Cliff Freeman and and Little Caesars, genius retail advertising. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they were solving a problem. Yeah, yeah. So why before what? I, I think that's good. And oftentimes, you know, if you're the creative, you'll take the baton from the planner. So maybe talk a little bit, how should you work with that, yeah. that handoff? Yeah, well, it's always good. You can, uh, the too many presentations don't build cumulative impact. Mm. When there's multiple presenters, we're presenting in silos and, and the person who follows you, um, you know, they don't reference anything you just said. Right. And you don't do anything to proceed what they're about to say. Right. So you're missing an opportunity to build cumulative impact. Yeah. But I will often say, you know, uh, as let's say you were a planner, you know, as Rob said a little right. second ago about the target audience, you know, what we need to do is focus on, on X or Y. Why is that important? Yeah. It shows that you are thinking about the problem as a business problem holistically. Yep. And I always say you need to go from being a creative person to an advertising person, Mm. a problem solver. Mm. You know, in this town, some of the greatest creative people were big advertising people first. They were problem solvers, and that's how they grew business. Right. So uh, whenever I'm coming off of a planner, I'm always piggybacking on something that they've said. Because the planners probably set up the strategy. Mm -hmm. What they probably have not done is completely tie it to the work you're about to show. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, they set up a strategy, but you probably walk in with two at minimum, probably more like three campaign approaches. Mm -hmm. It's your job to take what's on that brief and to take what's on the assignment and directly spot weld it to the work you're about to show. So it's irresistible when you reveal it finally. So that's what I do. All right, good. So that's that's the sin of blurting. And you saw some salvation there. That's good. (laughs) What is number two? Number two, I call ad whispering, (laughs) which is basically a catch-all bucket that uh, that holds a bunch of mini sins. You know, what they all have in common, though, is stage presence. Right. When you're standing up to present, when they say, and now here's Carrie, I'm on stage, Mm -hmm. even if I'm sitting down Mm -hmm. in my head. I think that I am on stage and I have to perform. Mm. Even if it doesn't look like I'm making a big performance, Mm -hmm. I sometimes do it quietly, but I'm thinking about my audience. So let's just start with one of the first mini sins, ad whispering, as the name implies. Um, If you talk too quietly and the people in the back row keep yelling, speak up. Well, if they can't hear your idea, what do you think the chances are of them buying it? Yeah. Pretty low. The problem often is is people will speak up, but they'll often talk to their shoes. Hmm. Your shoes are not buying the work. And if you're trying to build trust, uh, that doesn't do it. Uh, if you're staring off into an imaginary object in space, and you see this all the time. In hmm. my workshops, I still see it all the time. Yeah. They're talking, but they're talking, you think they're looking at something up there, and everybody looks to what they're looking at, and there's nothing there. That's another form of poor stage presence. Right. The, the, the bottom line as a matter is, is you've got to connect with your audience. And I know it sounds cliche, 
But eye contact is crucial. Yeah. And I think the mistake that a lot of presenters make is if they do make eye contact, it's only with the big boss in the room. Oh, yeah. That's a big right? sin. A big, that's, a, that's a huge sin because what happens if all of his lieutenants are sitting there? What happens when you walk out the door? What's the first question he asks of everybody? What do you think? Right, right. It's almost the opposite of if you were on The Sopranos where you would only be talking to Tony, you'd be fine. <laughs> Fine, but this is not the case. You Make know, sure you include Polly Walnuts and uh... you got to include them all, right? Uh, because uh, they get a vote. Yeah, yeah, of course. And he's going to ask them. And if someone feels ignored, they're more likely to vote no than yes. Hey, going back to the whether you're looking down at your shoe or looking at some vast mountain that is not in the room, mm-hmm. what do you think that gives off? Like what? Like what do you think the clients, the audience, like when you're looking down or you're looking away, not giving eye contact? What do you think is coming off? You're searching for what, the right thing to say. That's what I take out mm. of it quite often, um, rather than. You know the work inside and out. You know it's why it's right for the assignment. You're searching. And when you're doing that, you're not building trust. I think uh, I say this in my book. Um, Harvard psychologists did a 15-year study, hmm. and they were trying to determine first reactions to people who make presentations, et cetera. And over 15 years, they, they came to the conclusion that within the first 30 seconds to a minute, hmm. people pass judgment on you on two things more than anything else whether they trust you mm. and whether they think you're competent. Mm. Think think about trust, that as a presenter. Someone's trust, tr- and, trust and think you're competent. Are you going to buy work you don't tr- from someone you mm. don't trust? I'm not going to. And when you're looking down at your shoes, I'm just not trusting you. When you're staring mm. out simply, you don't have the ability to make eye contact with mm. him and say, Mr. Client, Ms. Client, this is good work. This mm. is smart work. This is the right work for your business, Brom. It sends a bad vibe to me. Mm. And the fact is, some work is going to sell. I don't, it's going to sell. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Just mail it in. It's going to sell. And some work is never going to sell, and I don't care who you are presenting right. it. Right? We've all seen great presenters right. still not do it. Um, it's the work that sits on a fence mm-hmm. on a cli- in the client's mind. You're never quite sure, but it sits Which there. is maybe 90% yes, it's, it's of a, what we do. It's a large part. <laughs> They're just not sure. Yeah. Because it's hard. It, it, you know? it's, it is. It's hard to buy work. Look, it's risky to buy work. Yeah. Because if we're really doing our jobs well as bringing something truly original, creative, yeah. fresh, not seen before, that right. means it's also not been proven before. And we're asking them to get out their checkbook and write a check sometimes for a few million bucks to back an idea that it looks like we just have a hunch about. Yeah, I think it would be easier if we got paid through Venmo. I just feel like it would <laughs> lower the barrier. I'm with you on all, <laughs> all of that. All right, let's move on to number three. Yeah, well, number three, I think, is the most common sin. Mm. I call it wanderlust. Mm. And, I mean, you can sort of imagine what that means. Wanderlust is simply not being focused in your communication, not being clear with what you're saying. I mean, we all know these people. We, we, we know them in real life. They're the kinds of people that start stories, they start a conversation, but then they're, they're, like a, they're like a ball in a pinball machine, right? Right. And all of a sudden they're over here, all of a sudden they're over there, and you are trying to track with what their idea is, right. what their story is, what the reason for buying this work is, and you can't follow them. That is wanderlust. Yeah. And I actually see that sin more than anything else. I, 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 you just gave me an idea. I think what I'm going to show people before a presentation is that scene from Trains, Planes, and Automobiles with uh, John Candy and Steve Martin. You know, maybe your story should have a point. <laughs> yes. 
That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, good. Well, yeah, so the ADD of, uh, of the typical wonderful creative mind really is no place when you're pitching the work. It just is a different skill set. You have to become more disciplined. Um, the work is not going to sell itself, and you have to step back and say, what does this person across the table need to hear in order to become a believer? Mm-hmm. You should be asking yourself that question the night before mm, you're, really go, you're going to the meeting. Yeah, I think that uh, I think you hit upon something really powerful, which uh, I think we often say yeah, we're really thinking about the audience. But to me, it's a step further than thinking about the audience. It's having empathy for the audience. I mean, right back to, hey, these people have to take a risk. You Huge. know, you know, this marketing director, she's got to write this check. Really think about her plight. No question about it. And particularly the younger people who may not ever get to a client meeting this year, Mm. but will eventually, they're never making the presentation to the client, but they are making it to the planner. Mm -hmm. They are making it to their creative director. They're making it to head of account management Mm -hmm. or something like that. Sometimes even the CEO has to see uh, it. No question the CEO has to see it. (laughs) (laughs) We're not saying that's always a good thing. I'll see everybody at 4.30. (laughs) We know the meeting we have today, so be prepared and pay attention. Been in those (laughs) meetings. But everybody views work through a slightly different lens. Mm. You don't realize that. But, I mean, a planner is looking at the work as you're showing it and basically saying, is it on brief? Is it on strategy? Mm -hmm. Did they listen to those insights that I brought to the table? Mm -hmm. So if I'm now the presenter of the creative work, I'm going to say, and I'm not being gratuitous, but I am going to say, you know, there was something on page two of the brief that that caught one of the team's attention. It was quite interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't know who wrote this, but it's pretty smart. Yeah. We took that and sort of a germ for an idea. Mm You're including them. Mm. People like to be included in big, good things. Do you think, I think this is, a, this is a very valuable point. Have you noticed that clients want to be even more included than when you and I started in the business? Oh, well, I think the business has changed dramatically in that regard, particularly tech company clients, because they're used to 2.1, 2.2, 2.3 versions of everything. They're an iterative, iterative type of, sure. com- of company. Um, In fact, I've worked freelance for some of the big names, tech, and we came to the conclusion that going to them with the idea fully baked was a bad idea. You know, I'm with you 100%. We've we've observed that too. What I also have observed is that oftentimes across the table from us – Oh, I used to work with that person when she was a planner, or that's a former creative director that used to work with us. You know, so you have people who were on the agency side now on the client side. Yes, you do. And it's interesting when you're on the buying side. Mm. And all you need to do is know what it's like. I mean, walk into a furniture store and get accosted by somebody who's trying to hard sell you on a piece of furniture. You're already simply not wanting to partake in that conversation. Right. And I don't think creative people always realize the fact that if you feel like you're putting a ramrod down a client's throat, yeah. rather than, um, I love what Rich Stoddard says, his clients don't want to be sold, they want to be seduced. Hmm. Interesting. And it's a great word for it when you yeah. think about it. Uh, there, there, there's, a, uh, there's a book out there by a guy named uh, Daniel Pink called um, To Sell as Human. And akin to this notion is his, uh, Daniel Pink has hit on this thing where you're not selling, we've moved to a position where we're serving. So, and when you think about it, just to jump to, uh, not to be in in wanderlust, but it's on point. Uh, (laughs) But if you jump to the way you would negotiate a car these days, the buyer has so much information 
from the invoice price, you know, the price that the dealers actually paid for the car. They already know that going in, that for the car people, they don't need to sell the vehicle. In fact, they need to listen hard and say, oh, you need X, Y, or Z. I'm serving you. I'm not selling you. Indeed. And I think that actually leads to a very important point while we're talking about presentation skills. In many ways, they're conversation skills, Mm. if you think about how it's evolved. That if you always feel like, they always feel like they're, you're standing up and being sold. Yeah. That's why sometimes I will intentionally, depending on the size of the room and who I'm talking to, I may decide to sit down. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Talk about that. Maybe the difference between standing and sitting. Well, there's a physicality. Um, uh, a funny story, a real story. It happened to me. I was freelancing. I sold a campaign internally at an agency um, here in New York, and they asked me to go to Boston and uh, present to the new chief marketing officer for their big client. Right. So I flew up there, and I'd never met this client, and there was a new uh, account director on it who happened to be from England. And that's important because it makes the story or funny and how it really happened. The, the new client's name was Tim. So just before we walk into the room, I asked the, 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 the account director, I said, uh, what's Tim like? And in her British accent, she said, oh, um, he thinks he is king and agency people are his subjects. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. On the spot, though, I yeah. made the decision to change how I was going to present. Yeah. When we go into the room, Tim was sitting down. Instead of standing up, which is how I typically present, looking down on the king, I decided from a physicality standpoint, I was going to sit down and pass the work across to him more deferentially Mm. because I knew I had to get him to want to be in the mood to buy from me. And if he thinks he's the alpha dog, then I'm going to let him be the alpha dog. You have to make these judgment calls. If you mm. walk into the room and you were planning on sitting down and all of a sudden now there's 14 people in the room and you didn't know, right. you better have practiced standing up and presenting. Sure. In my workshop, a lot of people ask me, can I sit down to present? I said, well, um, are you going to sit down and present when you're in a room when you get promoted to be an ECD and there's 40 people in the room? Probably not. Right. Exactly. So they stand up and they get comfortable with it. Yeah. And I, and I like what you're saying about have your radar up. Yeah. You know, because, Always. Uh, you know, to me, it reminds me of the old uh, Mike Tyson line, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> so <laughs> you've, you've got the plan, you know, to stand up and you all of a sudden, oh, here's, here's an alpha dog, like you say. Yeah. I'm going to sit down and let Alpha Dog be Alpha Dog. Well, to that point, I always go into a presentation literally saying to myself, something is going to happen in this room that I'm not expected. expecting. I don't know what it is, but at least I'm prepared for the fact for when it comes out of nowhere, it's not completely out of nowhere. You know what's funny you should say that? I think everybody, optimistically so, assumes everything's going to go right. And I think the longer I'm in my career, the more I just am feeling catastrophe about to happen, and then I'm pleasantly surprised when it doesn't. Yeah, no kidding. We <laughs> We've all been there. Um, you can only control so much. Yeah. That said, the better prepared you are, the better you are to deal with the disaster once it happens. Yeah. No, I've always sort of liked calamity in, in an improv way. Yes. Yeah. You know, I would be prepared and you could always work around calamity. You know, I think it could be. There's an energy to it. Yeah. There is. There's sometimes there's there's humor to it, uh, you know, reacting to something. It's like, well, I wasn't expecting that. And, yeah. and everybody laughs. Yeah. And that's okay. And especially if you have something with some very simple art direction and everything, you know, fouls up, you could always draw it on a piece of paper and show it. No question and about that, it. in some ways, has more power no question. than a polished keynote. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've covered blurting. We've covered ad whispering. We've covered the wanderlust. <laughs> Number four. I call it telepathy. Mm. Uh, basically. By the way, I, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well. Thank you for indulging the, me. Ba-boom. Uh, telepathy is 
quite simply that. I, I think creative people, you know, we're in a business of communicating. Yet oddly enough, when we make presentations, we're often poor communicators mm. in what the idea is. Let's face it. Right. You know, you know what the idea is inside and out. You've got all kinds of crap speeding through your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on fire in there. You've already edited the idea. Okay. You've got the music. The client's literally hearing it in its embryonic state in their mind. Yeah. And if you don't back up a little bit and take them by the hand and walk them through the idea, they're going to miss what it means. And if they're having to ask a bunch of questions, mm. they start to create doubt. And doubt, you know, is a slippery slope. Right. It, it happens and it starts to move really fast. That's why you've got to be able to not only as you present, make it interesting, engaging. Uh, Steve Jobs said every good presentation should educate, inform and entertain. Mm-hmm. But we got to remember, but while we're entertaining and bringing these ideas to life, we got to be communicating. We've got to be connecting the dots because I call it telepathy because clients are not mind readers. Yeah. Unless it comes out of your mouth and goes into their ears and registers in their brain and you give it time to register. That's another thing. You know, mm. great comedians always leave time for laughter. Yeah. They let the audience get the joke and then laugh at it. They build it into their time. And I don't think we do enough of we've got to let this them process this, work it through, and then go, aha, now you're ready to move on with the presentation. But until that happens, you haven't communicated the whole idea to them or they haven't received it. So telepathy is it's very common. And it comes when you're very excited quite often. Yeah. You're thrilled about the work and you're rolling. You know what it's like. Right. We, we get out there and we're making stupid sound effects and having fun. Right. And we're not telling them a couple crucial key things to understand the idea. Right. I, you know, I, I, you gave me an interesting idea just chatting here. I think that the teams, you know, we should watch some comedians at some mm. point in the prep process. You know, because Terrific. the timing, yeah, I never thought about that. That's, I think that'd be a really good mm-hmm. idea. You know, little Dave Chappelle, right before you go on, like, I think he's a master oh, at, you know, the, the, the timing. Yeah. And, uh, that'd be good. All right, that's telepathy. What is number five? It's impalement. Ah. What is impalement? Well, as you can probably tell by the word, it's not a comfortable experience. <laughs> More often than not, it's not comfortable for the client because typically the person presenting is clueless that they're committing the sin of impalement. Mm. Look, we all want to fight for work. Good clients want us to fight for good work. Bad clients, well, it is what it is. But there does come a point where you get diminishing returns. You're fighting so hard for it. You're not seeing the warning signs. You're not recognizing the body language. You're simply Mm. talking outward instead of receiving inward. Great presenters always are on a two-way street. Right. They're watching the reactions. They're taking advantage when somebody smiles. Mm-hmm. When somebody's shaking their head, no, they're, they're not going too deep into trying to sell them or they're saying, now, I want to make sure you're clear on this because I feel like you're not, not are you, everybody following along? You know, they're able to read the room. Mm-hmm. The problem with impalement is the person presenting quite often doesn't recognize the early warning signs that will eventually lead to their death. <laughs> You'll be asked off the account if you do it too hard, too much. Yeah. Fight for the work. Push mm. for the work. But you got to know when all you're doing is hurting yourself. Because mm. don't forget, a week from now, there's another presentation. Right. And if this client doesn't like you because they think all he's coming in with is a giant ramrod, you got to recognize the signs. So it's that balancing act mm. between being passionate and believing in the work and fighting for the work and knowing when to give it up a little bit and live to fight another day. Very good. All right, before we go to the bonus, uh, given all these five, given everything we talked about, how do, do you think this works in the other modern constraint that we have, which is the conference call? Yeah. So these days, more often than not, this 
conversation you and I are having about presentations happens on a conference call. Yeah, it does. Uh, sadly, it's, 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 it's more and more frequent, um, and it's a shame. But it is what it is. Uh, we can deny it or we can learn to deal with it. Yeah. I actually do a workshop on phone presentations specifically because it's different when you can't see your audience and they can't see you. Right. Let me give you an interesting biological. I think there's two things working against you. Mm. One's biological and one is social. Mm. The biological part is, this is a fact, 40% of our brain's cerebral cortex is dedicated to what we take in with our eyes. Mm. Think about that. Mm. 40% mm. is dedicated. Of our five senses, 40% is dedicated simply to what we take in with our vision. Mm. Only 3% is dedicated to what we take in with our ears. That is really not wonderful news for the podcast. <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> FYI. Well, we're hopefully painting a vivid theater of the mind picture here. As long here. as we can get 100% of that 3%, I am not worried in the least. Well, there is why when you present over the phone, in a conference call, you don't have to compensate. You have to overcompensate. Mm. Language is a terribly important thing. Mm. And the ability to craft the description of the idea. Yes, they're looking at a board probably, yep. in the, but what they're not seeing is your body language. Right. They're not seeing that smile on your face that indicates this is funny. This is charming. They don't see you touching your heart. When you're talking about a little girl who's, you know, in the hospital in the commercial and how beautiful it is, right. they lose all of those cues that normally tell them a significant amount of how to feel or think about an idea. Hmm. So we have to overcompensate for it. Interesting. We also have to overcompensate just for the simple fact that they are not paying attention to us oh, socially. What they would not do in front of our faces, they're happy to do. Exactly. And they're not being nasty or mean. It's just what happens now. I think it's just human nature. It is. That if you're if you're not being seen, you're on Twitter. You're doing it, something no else. No question about it. I was making a phone presentation one time with a creative team, and then there was an account person at the client's office. I don't know where it was, L.A. or something like that. And I get a text from the account person saying, I think the uh, second-level client was named Sue. It said, Sue is shopping online right now. <laughs> right? Well, I hope it was for the product you were talking about. <laughs> I have no idea. But the point of the matter is, is that behavior alters. Yeah. Um, biologically and socially, you're at a disadvantage right off the bat. Yeah. But I see too many creative people present the exact same way mm -hmm. over the phone as they do in person. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is you have to become the ringmaster. Yeah. They are notoriously disorganized phone presentations. People enter the call late. Sometimes yeah. not everybody's in the same room. Oh, yeah. Right? There's the a worst. siren. You can't present to anybody in New York City without a <laughs> siren in the background, I guarantee you. And a lot of the times, you all you have to say is, is somebody got a window open up there? That's And it's, oh, sorry. And ask them to close it. Right. You need to become the ringmaster. You need to get everything working in your favor as much as possible. But by the way, you could also, is, is somebody have a window open or say, did somebody just have a heart attack? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's an ambulance picked up by up. the Yeah, your ambulance is waiting downstairs. Please go to it. That's right. But you know, one of the biggest enemies of phone presentation is a potato chip bag. Oh, yeah. Right? It's sitting next to a speakerphone and somebody's reaching their hand in and... If you're presenting a beautiful, powerful, 
engaging. Anything you know that has a human emotion to it in a potato chip bag is interrupting you. You are at a disadvantage. Mm. So you have to overcompensate. And one of the ways you keep an audience involved is I ask more questions of my audience oh, when I'm over great, the phone. That is a great technique. I say, hey, is it? I just want to make sure everybody on page one here, mm. of course, we know half the people are looking ahead in the deck. Right. If you can stop people from looking ahead in the deck during a phone presentation, <laughs> you know, you are a genius. No, that's great. But I do ask questions. Yeah. If I know I've got someone in there who is probably not paying attention. I'll even ask them to specific people, but I'll do it in a way of saying, you know, Gary, I know this is your area of responsibility. I just want to make sure you're cool with this. Right. You know, what do you think about that idea? Yeah. And I'll ask the questions to keep them engaged. Yeah. If you can't keep them engaged, I don't care what you're selling. Your chances of selling it are lower over the phone than they are in person. Well, yeah, you're already down uh, 60%. Yeah. You know, yeah. you walk in down 60%. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So before we do the bonus, another question I would have for you that I think the our audience here would be um, keen to understand is how have things changed with the kinds of things that we have to make now? So presenting the Instagram post, presenting the tweet, you know, how have you seen uh, this change or, or not change how you would present something? Um, in my opinion, we present Twitter ideas and other social media ideas as throwaways. Since they're just chat, right. we don't read the thing very, mm. very, we don't read it or we, we just a, have it up there. A great observation. You know, there's, there's 12 tweets on the screen. How, which one do you think the client's going to read or are they going to listen to you? It's all in the timing. Feed them what you want them to pay attention to you and don't feed it when you're ready for them to pay attention to it. And then when you've got a tweet or you have to describe a content film or something, take your time. If it was worth some creative person coming up with this idea, spending the night, the weekend, probably the holidays doing it, give it its due. Mm. And I do believe and, you know, I'm not one to look back at the good old days. Mm. Look, times change, you know. But what I do believe in is if it was good enough to make it, it's good enough to take the time and and speak to it clearly and give it time. If it's a headline, read it out loud. Mm -hmm. Don't just plaster the walls with too much stuff. That's what I see happening, that we're going for volume at the expense of understanding individual pieces. Right, right. All right, good. Well, what what's the bonus? You, you have a number. You have a number six. Well, I call it atrophy. You know, as I say, presentation skills are, are, are a muscle. They can become stronger, and you can become amazing, or just simply, if not used, they will start to diminish. And what does that mean? It means that you'll you'll forget, and you'll go into a meeting, um, and you'll just start winging it again. You won't prepare. You just say, ah, I'll just read it. They'll they'll get it. It'll be fine. You take all the discipline you would normally do for a bigger presentation and you don't apply it to the day-to-day presentations. Mm. I am always in presentation mode. Mm. Always. If you were my art director and I'm thinking, all right, how do I get Rob to want to buy this concept because I Mm. have this idea? I'm always thinking, what do I need to say to Rob? Mm. That's thinking like a presenter always. You're thinking Mm. like a salesman because – Guess what? I don't go to the creative director or the associate creative director until I can get it past my art director. Right. And we can't go up the food chain. And we know there's two, you know, I think of it all of it as a gauntlet, right? We know the old gauntlet. The gauntlet is there are two rows of people. Everybody has a club in their hand and you've got your concept has to run through there. And at the end, it has to survive it. And it has to come out looking like it did when it went in or close enough. Hmm. And I don't think the day-to-day approval 
is thought of as a presentation. Yeah. So we're back into the volume game. Mm. When tons of ideas are pinned to the wall, I always have something on my work that makes it stand out. Mm. Always. Interesting. I've been in too many meetings, particularly when I was freelancing, when I was building this business, where, you know, there's a giant table filled with all kinds of creative teams and the creative director saying, going around the room, asking people, and everybody would just blurt out their idea, blurt out their idea. But when it came to me, and I've seen a couple other people do it, I want to take all the credit for here, but... I stop and say, well, if you go back to the brief and take a look at what they were doing here, this is the real problem we're trying to solve. Mm. So I'm getting the CD thinking, okay, this person thought about it because he or she is going to have to go to the client sure. and present it as a solution to a business problem. Right. All of these things add up. So um, I'm always in presentation mode. I never let my skills atrophy. And if you just think about anytime you have to get somebody across the table you to say yes, you can use your presentation skills, they'll never atrophy. Hmm. Those things happen on a daily basis, we know. So why did you get into this business? Not your new business of, uh, you know, The Last Hurdle uh, and your book writing. Why did you get into advertising? I think all of us who are creative, no light goes off and says, I'm creative. But when I was a kid, I wrote poems for my younger brother's birthday, Hmm. and they were just funny and stupid. When Skylab was falling, I wrote a whole story on the Skylab is falling and invented these crazy Skylab hats that you'd wear in order to protect yourself from Skylab. And I just started realizing as I got older that this skill set could be applied to something. Hmm. I didn't know exactly what it was. Hmm. As it turns out, I was fortunate to have an older brother who was a writer before me, Hmm. and he happened to work, as it turns out, in Minneapolis as you know, a great advertising sure. account. So he's the one who said to me about the Skylab story and all this. He said, you know, I'm telling you, you can be a writer. Mm. Um, and that's sort of how I got into it. Mm. But you know, back in the day, there were no portfolio centers, no, no ad schools, nothing like that. I literally put Our a ad portfolio- school was life. <laughs> <laughs> it was life. I'm, I put my portfolio together literally with stick figures <laughs> and, and uh, went up to uh, Boston and just took a chance. Yeah. Opened a phone book in a phone booth and picked out an agency. It just happened to accidentally be the largest, best agency in New England. Hill Holiday, they're still around. There you go. That's amazing. Yeah. And but in college, what did you major in? Uh, nothing worthwhile. When I left college, uh, I was ill-prepared to do anything. It wasn't until I had a, a job working on an island in South Devon, England, that I got interested in flying helicopters. And when I came back to the States, uh, I went to aeronautical school. So I was a helicopter pilot before I got into advertising. As I like to say, I got out of flying helicopters to get into a more dangerous profession. And uh, so, uh, you know, who knows how we get here sometimes? But here we are. But I think I think that's really good. So anybody who is thinking about going to advertising, I mean, maybe the first thing to do is to go to aeronautics school. No question about you know, it. Get the, a natural path. Get your get your helicopter license. So I, we're at the point in the show where you give out one piece of advice. So yeah. uh, you know we've got uh, CMOs who listen in. We've got uh, you know rising talent in the business. Uh, you know what, what would you tell somebody? What, what's today Tuesday? What should they do Thursday? If I had to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie them together. There's two things, but they're, t- they're so related that I'm going to count them as one. First of all, know your audience. Know your audience. Who am I trying to persuade and what am I trying to persuade them of? And then know what's important. In other words, if you were in an elevator and you only had one floor to say something to them about why the work you're about to show is right for their business, what would you say? And then... I always do that, as, as I like to say. Uh, someone says to me, give me the elevator pitch. I say, what floor are we going to? Right? And uh, it's usually, of course, the second. And when it is, 
I've already prepared for that. I know going in. I'm never surprised in a meeting. That's why I would suggest go in knowing what's important to these people, where their heads are, how they're measuring the work, because it may not be the way you're measuring it. Mm. And then know if I could only say something to precede what I'm about to show, a why before what, what is that one or two things very quickly? And I should be able to do that in 20 or 30 seconds. Mm. Tops. All right. Well, here are your sins. Blurting, ad whispering, wonderlust, telepathy, impalement, atrophy. That's your bonus, atrophy. It's so a bonus. Those are your sins. And uh, this is your priest. Kerry, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. As always, good to see you, Ron. Great to see you. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shy Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com. 